Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. This is episode number one. I'm Courtney. I'm Carl. And we are talking about My Hero Academia Heroes Rising. And I can't think of a better way to officially kick off our podcast than to talk about this movie. And this is a kid's movie. (laughs) It's a kid's movie, according to our friend Don. (laughs) We watched it over the weekend. Um, So today's Sunday. We watched it yesterday, Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. But the movie came out a couple days earlier here in the States. Yes. so... Or just reading off the Wikipedia article for the movie... Toho released the film theatrically in Japan on December 20, 2019. Funimation announced that it had licensed the film for English-speaking regions and released the film in North America on February 26, 2020 in both English subtitled and dubbed. Yeah, so we watched it February 29th. Luckily, we didn't have any spoilers. So we went into this movie completely blind, had no idea what what anything was. I just knew there were some kids in it, and that's all. I I knew there were kids in it. (laughs) Which and I, kids? Yeah, the well, besides are... Class 1A, and I knew that it was, it seemed to focus more on Midoriya and Bakugo, and for those who know me, I am Team Bakugo all the way, so mm. I was so excited to see this movie. Are you Team Midoriya? Or Todoroki? I can't remember. No, I am... Team All Might? <laughs> yeah, yeah, first and foremost, Team All Might, because that guy is just the epitome of hero, but yeah, Team Todoroki, because... He's like an underdog, and I just think Midoriya's too much of a whiny little, <laughs> whiny little kid who, not whiny, but sappy. He's very sappy. I don't really, I know that's like a trope in a lot of animes, but Team Todoroki. But would you call Todoroki an underdog? Because he's really not, in my opinion, he, he's not an underdog. He just has a lot of expectation thrust upon him because his dad's endeavor yeah. And he's got some really beefed up powers because of his genetics and all that. Yeah, I guess like he's the most cool-headed of everyone. Yeah. Um which, you know, I I tend to go more towards those characters. Um and yeah, just the fact that he has to live up to these expectations um but still maintain a cool head about himself and still maintain his independence, I guess from his father in that sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Team Todoroki. And Team Bakugo. Let's do this. Um, so we wanted to first talk a little bit about the movie. As we mentioned before in our episode zero, there's going to be full-on spoilers. We're, we're expecting that if you're listening to this, you either don't care about spoilers or you've already seen the movie or at least know what it's about. So spoilers galore in this. Um, but we're going to first talk about the synopsis so that we can just remind everyone what happened in the movie. It's also probably a good reminder for us because we only watched it once at this point. And then from there, we will talk about initial reactions, I'd say. Maybe we'll dive Mm -hmm. into some pros, some cons. And I know it left us with a lot of questions, so we'll probably probably touch on that as well. Um, But yeah, we want to kick us off with the synopsis. Yeah, so just taking this directly off of Rotten Tomatoes' website, um, the number one hero anime is back (laughs) in theaters for a battle beyond anything fans have ever seen. Class 1A visits Naboo Island, where they finally get to do some real hero work. And I like, I think I mentioned this to you before, I like that my hero has a lot of references to Star Wars, because I'm... 
I wouldn't say I'm like a big Star Wars fan, but I am a... You're a big Star Wars fan. <laughs> you are a very big Star Wars okay. fan. <laughs> I was a little late in the game, but yeah, I, I, I am a big Star Wars fan. So yeah, Naboo Island. Um, the place is so peaceful that it's more like a vacation until they're attacked by a villain with an unfathomable quirk. His power is eerily familiar, and it looks like Shigaraki had a hand in the plan. But with All Might retired and citizens' lives on the line, there is no time for questions. Deku and his friends are the next generation of heroes, and they're the island's only hope. Wow. Powerful stuff. So yeah, I mean, initial reactions. I thought the first part was meh. It felt like the first movie. Um, was it Two Heroes? Yeah, Two uh, Heroes. It was like, it started off and I'm like, okay, this just feels like my hero and it feels like I'm watching another episode, which isn't necessarily bad, but it just, I was like, all right, I'm just going to watch it and then I'm going to go home and then that'll be it. But then the second half kicked in and I I have not gotten so surprised by a movie, any movie in, in a while um, my jaw dropped in the theater. I was like, they're not going there. They're not going there. And then they went there and I was like, okay, well, here we are. Let's see how this all plays out. So I loved it mostly because the, the second half was the saving grace. In my opinion, I, I liked the first half because it was an interesting way to see class one a, but like, yeah, the, the second half really just sold it. You could have had just the second half of the movie and I would have been like all in. So I thought overall it was great, and I left the theater really hyped about it. Yeah, for me, I I like the movie. Um, I think it's it's very comparable to um, kind of like your all the Marvel movies that have come out, um, especially like Avengers, where I think this kind of follows not to the same extent as Marvel, but there's like a little bit of a cookie cutter formula here. With I guess what you find with any um, hero movie and I agree with you the first half of the movie it dragged a lot um, very similar to two heroes where it's almost like the the students have to take a summer job and um, I'll be honest I, I was starting to fall asleep um, we ate a lot of sushi right before the movie yeah so <laughs> in, in typical weeb fashion we had kaiten sushi right before the mm-hmm. movie um, so yeah I was like well into the food coma I had from sushi. Um, but I guess there was a moment that snapped me out of it, which was, um, I guess, when the villains arrived to the island. Um, and from there, it was just like a roller coaster. Um, and I think I mentioned this to you yesterday. There are very few movies where I get, like, chills or, like, goosebumps constantly. And I felt like that kept happening. Um, with every action piece or set action set piece that happened in the later half of the movie, when they're focusing on the different students and them facing off against each of the three villains, um, and it's just like each scene kind of escalates one after the other, and then obviously you have the climax with um, Bakugo and Midoriya, um, and I don't I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer, but that's where the movie started to kind of feel flat for me. Mm. Um, just because of where this takes place um, canon-wise in the whole My Hero storyline. And I guess we'll talk about that um, later on in this podcast. But again, overall, I enjoyed it. And another thing is 
I wanted to point out that this movie has a runtime of 104 minutes, um, which is a little under two hours. Yeah. Right? Um, and I always judge movies, or like this is one of the things I judge movies on is if it keeps me on the edge of the seat and I don't realize how much time has passed. So walking into it, I think we had discussed with our friends how long the movie was, and it was a little under, like you said, two hours, which seemed like very quick for me but when you're watching this in the theater everything just goes by so quickly that you don't realize how much time is fast and it it's a really jam-packed movie in that sense yeah even the slower part in the beginning still had a lot going on um but yeah it, it kept my attention even if there were highs and lows i thought i was drawn in the whole time which is good mm-hmm yeah, so th- those are our first thoughts on the movie, um, and I've, I've written here some, some pros that we discussed. Um, so, first and foremost, the, the it's the first real team-up, I think, right, for Midoriya and Bakugo. And and just as, as an FYI, we, we've watched all of My Hero, we're fully caught up, we've only watched it once, so there may be things that we don't remember that happened in the show, but... I'm pretty sure this is like the first real team up for them. And mm-hmm. it is just their their relationship being what it is, and we all know what it is. It's just so fun to finally see them cooperate, especially because Bakugo never wants to do that. Even when he is cooperating, he's still not totally cooperating all the time. Um, so it was just so much fun to, to see them have to team up and see it happen successfully. Like there, there's a lot that could have gone wrong, but to see it like, hey, when it when it comes down to it, and it's a life or death situation, and people are at risk, like they have the hero ability to put their differences aside and get the job done, and I really liked that. What I also really liked about this movie is that it showcased everyone in Class A, which is mm-hmm. Class One A, which is something that I, I feel like we've seen peppered throughout the show. But again, it's it's peppering. It's it's never really highlighting everyone to their fullest extent. Um, and, and when time goes by, you forget about how impressive or unimpressive one of the classmates is. But here you can see everybody full on just doing their thing to the best of their ability. And I thought that was great. Um, I loved that it showed both how, how powerful each of them are and at their respective levels. Not everyone's going to be as power powerful as Midoriya and Bakugo and Todoroki, but you still mm. see them at their at their max. But then also shows their limits and what happens when they reach their limits and how quickly they reach the limits based on how talented they are, how powerful they are, etc. Yeah. I really liked that. Um, and one thing I wanted to mention along those lines is obviously this is class one A. They're they're the class that everyone is looking at in terms of like performance or like what they're doing. Um, and in the TV show, obviously each or certain characters, like, they, they get their arcs, but you don't really get to, like you said, they you don't really get to see them showcase their powers unless it's, like, the tournament arc or um, when some of the characters have their work studies. But in the film, like, you really get to see each of them showcase their powers. Um, and I think it's a very equal distribution of that. So getting to see that, so you're not always seeing Midoriya um, or Bakugo, um, kind of spearheading each operation like you see them all play equal parts in this mission to protect um the villages of this island and stop the the threat of these three villains um although 
think the most useless I don't I forget her name but the invisible girl you don't really see her do anything which is yeah and we'll get to that <laughs> I put that on my cons like man like talking about again like how how powerful everyone is in class one like having this movie showcase just it really helped you visualize the tier of class 1a like you could probably after this movie very accurately rank every class member in class 1a on how on their hero potential overall whether that's their intelligence their strength whatever from this movie because they were all showcased very very well mm-hmm. and like, that chick's gonna be like number whatever how many yeah how many like people there are in the class she's she's at the bottom but again we'll, we'll get to that in a second um, but yeah, I, I really liked the, that they showed their limits and, and I actually had forgotten that Uraraka pukes when she can't use her powers anymore, when she hits her limit. And the fact that they brought that back in, in the movie, I was like, cause we only see that what twice maybe in the show. And then we don't see it for a very long time. And, but yeah. she also hasn't had a moment to really, again, push herself except for the, uh, the sports festival. Right, so what was it called? Or the the yeah, the tournament or Yeah, that's the tournament arc in the beginning. Um so yeah, it was it was just nice to see again like them hit their limits and, and for us to get a good finally get a full round well rounded sense of here's where everyone's at. Although you could argue that the tournament arc did that to a certain degree, but it was so piecemeal mm-hmm. and so many episodes, like there was a whole season dedicated to it that again it's hard to just see it. So you see it all as one one thing that's happening in the span of like whatever however much time was dedicated it was like 20 minutes or whatever that that really helped us to 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 visualize and understand where everyone's at in the class yeah it's basically avengers endgame yeah for for class 1a yeah um another thing we liked is that it felt like there was an actual threat and you mentioned this specifically like there was an actual threat um there have been obviously other villain fights and and whatnot in the show but none of it actually felt like anyone could possibly die at that moment. In fact, there were times where I thought someone actually did die and they didn't. I'm like, okay, I guess no one dies in this this series until obviously we get the one death from season four. Um, and and it, I would say the overhaul fight is the first time in the show you feel like there's an actual potential for for people to get hurt and people to die. Um, but this this movie felt like there was that actual threat. Like I, I felt like maybe one of these classmates is going to die. Like, they're going to die today. There's a strong potential for this. Um, so it was it was interesting to see that. Because sometimes, I love that they have elements of action and slice of life in this show. Uh, but sometimes it does feel like a slice of life anime that has action elements. But here it's like, no, it really is an action show that has slice of life anim- elements to it. And it was nice, too, to see some of the interesting team-ups that we mm-hmm. haven't seen before. So one that stood out for me was um, Cero, the tape elbow dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Teaming up with Uraraka. I know. But... We're probably going to have to bust out Google in a second here. But Uraraka teaming up with Cero, and hopefully that's the correct person that I'm talking about. That was unique. Like, we mm-hmm. haven't even really seen them interact. Like, it's a lot of times there's typical interactions that happen in the show. Like, the same characters interact at the same level all the time. And here we saw different characters team up together and not only just team up in general, but actually use their, their powers creatively so that you could see how, how versatile they are. And I, I really enjoyed that. You're forgetting <laughs> Mineta was part of that. Remember at the end with, what's the villain's name? Nine. Nine, right? And yeah. they're throwing the rocks and 
like one of the last things is Mineta using his hairballs. Oh yeah, his hairballs. <laughs> I don't know what his the... hair grapes. <laughs> yeah. So again, like you said, it's it's just that was one of the very unique team ups where you can see these students really use each of their quirks um, to their full ex- extent. Yeah, and everyone seemed important. I think that's the best thing. Is like everyone except for one person which we'll talk about, <laughs> we'll talk about soon, seemed important. Hagakure, and, that was her name. Yeah, the invisible girl. Yeah. Um, they they all seemed important, and, and I know that at one point Bakugo calls a couple of them background characters or extras. Extras. Which I think he's done in the show, too. But this just shows you that they aren't just extras. There's a reason that they're in Class 1A. Because that's another thing, too, is when I'm watching the show, and... I know not every character is going to be a main character or even a secondary character. They're going to be supporting characters. But there's a reason they're in class 1A. There's a reason that they're they've gotten accepted into the school. They're in the top class. And I want to I want to see that and I want to I want to believe that. And I haven't believed it for many of the characters until mm-hmm. this movie. So that's a good thing. And I would say the last major pro for me in this movie again being Team Bakugo cuz all this is all the these last pros for me are, are all Bakugo um, is the amazing character development that he has in in this movie and how hilarious he is without having to change who he is. Like, just naturally hilarious. So, I, I mean, he, I was cracking... The whole theater was cracking up at Bakugo, and he wasn't doing anything different. He wasn't saying or reacting any differently than, than he would any other time. But it was just so well done that you could take him being his tsundere self and and he is just so funny in in those different situations i don't think there was like any line that he said that i wasn't just laughing out loud because again you say the movie really stays true to his character and just his i guess overconfidence in always being the number one hero in every situation yeah and like for example even after they share all one for all um, and they're fighting, like, or they're about to go and, and attack nine. Midoriya says, let's go, Bakugo. Like, just a normal thing that anybody would say, but because it's Midoriya saying it to Bakugo, he's like, don't tell me what to do. Or what he said, like, don't uh, give don't me give orders. Me orders. In the, again, we watched sub. <laughs> so the, the subtitle was, don't give me orders, and then they both launch off together. But, like, even in that moment, and this is the climax of the movie, they just shared the, the biggest decision and bonding moment for their relationship Midoriya gave him part or all or half of one for all. And even in that moment, he still says, don't tell me what to do. And it is great. It is just so funny. Um, And and I just love that they stayed that true to his character. Or (laughs) I think one thing that was like in the beginning, they're at the 1A hero agency, right? That headquarters in that building. And um, what's her name? I think Mina Ashido, the... Yeah, Yeah, the alien type, you know, she's the one who's been answering all the phone calls and she says, oh, you're one agency, like, what can we help you with? And a lot of the other uh, students are acting the same. But then there's a point, I think, after, or it was right right before... I think he was the only one in the building and everyone else had left, right? Yeah, or this was when the villains came over to the island and, like, launched their first attack. And, yeah, Bakugo is the only one in the building and the phone starts ringing and he picks it up and he's like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> this better not be a lame mission. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. It's just so good. Like, oh my God. He's so funny without trying to be funny. Like that, that to me is, I hate forced comedy or forced anything. 
in in movies or TV shows, and he didn't have to try. He didn't have to change a thing, and he was hilarious. They they played on his personality very very well in this mm-hmm. movie. But then, as I mentioned earlier, I loved his character development because, as we all know, we all started off. At least the show started off wanting us to hate Bakugo. He's a little little bitch basically, and he's he's complaining and he's mean to Midoriya and blah 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 and and you start to love him in the show the way his character development happens and here it just like ramped it up it was like fast but really important and and great character development um and even with the ending where he forgot a significant part of that fight that was that was frustrating yeah, yeah which we'll talk about for sure um, even with, if you were to remove all that stuff that he forgot, I'm sure he still remembers a good chunk of the fight, mm-hmm. but there's still so much great character development, even before that climax fight with nine. So just the whole way through his character arc is just so, so good. And the, and the relationship that develops or continues to develop between him and Midoriya, just amazing. Um, like some of the things that stood out that, that support that, uh, when, when Midoriya, um, so when Nine is going after the kids, Mahoro and Katsuma, um, the last time that he's going towards them, and he grabs Mahoro by the neck, basically, and is threatening to hurt her, we we get Midoriya and Bakugo who, who come and rescue them, but you, it's not Bakugo that, that punches him or kicks him in this, this sense. It's actually mm-hmm. Midoriya. Midoriya is the one to attack, and Bakugo is the one to save, which is completely opposite of what you know, their their innate reaction would be, as All Might said a couple of times. Bakugo is more about the power or winning, and and Midoriya is more about the saving. Mm-hmm. But in this instance, Midoriya is the one that kicks Nine in the face, and Bakugo is the one who grabs Mahoro and saves her. And I thought that was very interesting that they they switched roles in that moment, but did it because that's just what it was needed to be done in order to save her. No, oh, yeah, that was a very good catch. I didn't notice that um, until you brought it up. Uh, after we watched the movie last night. Yeah, and then another thing, too, that I thought was interesting is when they're fighting Nine, and then Uraraka and Sero come out to try and help them, obviously they get laid the fuck out right away, because they're already tired, but when both of them get laid out, you see Bakugo actually concerned about Sero's well-being. And it's not often that we see Bakugo concerned about people. I think the first time we actually see him be concerned is in the tournament arc when he's fighting Uraraka and she he thinks he, she's gonna go in for, for another round of fighting but she actually trips and passes out and he there's like a very split second moment when he's running towards her where his face is like pure concern he's like oh my god wait what's happening like he's surprised and concerned and he's like wait what's going on I think there was another moment and I can't remember what it was hopefully it'll come to me where he he shows some concern for another person later. I think it was either season three or season four. Um, hopefully it'll come to me. But this is a moment where very clearly... And I don't think he's very close to Sarah. He's obviously much closer to Kurishima. Yeah, <laughs> he said, even though he told him to him. shut up yeah. one time. <laughs> but the fact that on some level he must respect Sarah because he's, he first of all calls him by his actual name versus some mean nickname... Um, but the fact that he is, is concerned about him at all, um, and actually calls out to him and, and turns to see if he's okay, like, that was a great par- uh, part of his character development as well. So, yeah, overall, the whole Bakugo thing, again, even though I'm Team Bakugo and I'm biased, like, I would think, even if I wasn't Team Bakugo, the character development here was really good and really important. Um, and I think, for me, the only other pro is that this movie was way better than the last one. 
Yeah, Leaps and Bounds better. Yeah, like, I liked Two Heroes, but it just felt like an anime movie for the sake of an anime movie. And I'm not talking about standalone anime movies like Weathering With You or any of, um, like, you know, How's Moving Castle or Kiki's Delivery Service. Like, those are standalones. But when there's an anime movie that just feels like a cash grab and like doesn't really lend anything to the show and, and just feels like unnecessary or you could have just done this in an episode, that's what Two Heroes felt like. This, on the other hand, felt like a movie. And I, I thought it was great. But yeah, all in all, this movie, significantly better than Two Heroes. I still like Two Heroes, but I would pick Heroes Rising over Two Heroes any day. Yeah, and I guess one thing I wanted to mention along those lines is that, and I think uh, who's the creator Horikoshi Hori mentioned Koshi, yeah. that I think in a on his Twitter account that the plot line for this movie is something that he considered as um, a potential ending for the entire My Hero series. Wait, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I was just reading about. It. I think Funimation had a kind of like five things you need to know about a hero's rising um and one of the things they mentioned is again horikoshi posted on his twitter stating that he wanted to use the storyline in this as a potential ending for the series and that's kind of what it feels like at the very end of course like you see um midoriya in the last ditch effort allocating some or all of his or not all but like some of his one for all to Bakugo to, to take down this villain who's basically, like, all for one, resurrected. Yeah. Um, and just that kind of climax, that's where I was thinking towards the end of the movie, like, oh my god, is this how all, how my hero academia ends? Um, and just that kind of finality of that, I think, made this a really great movie. But again, I'm not going to say this was an amazing movie, and I think we're going to talk about the cons of why the the ending wasn't as satisfying as I had hoped for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get there for sure. Uh, well, like, we'll go ahead and transition then to cons because there, there are some things that I think we feel very strongly about with this movie. First off, though, with the cons, and I don't know if this was just because of us watching it in the U.S., but it's obviously made in Japan, but the theater we were in you know, you go from trailers to, you know, you move into the movie. This movie, the sound quality was shite and it looked like medium production quality. Like the production quality of season four looks significantly better. We went home after the movie and immediately watched the new episode um, for, for this weekend. Gold and, Tips Imperial. Yeah, Gold Tips Imperial. And it was like night and day. I mean, okay, maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit, but it was very clear that the season four production quality was better than what we were seeing on the screen for their movie. And I was disappointed in that. It, it kind of took me out of the movie. And again, the sound quality, I don't know about that one because it could have just been the theater that we're in or how it's ported over to, to the U.S. I don't know any of that stuff. But I'm hoping that when it's actually on streaming services like Hulu or whatever it's going to end up on, that the sound quality is much better because it was... It was distracting. I got used to it after mm -hmm. a certain point in the movie, but I was like, man, this looks and sounds terrible, and I just want to go home and watch it on my TV. Yeah. Um, kind of to emphasize your point about the sound, I remember first there was the like the Funimation 
kind of trailer right before that. Yeah. <laughs> we were all freaking out because oh my God. we had bought, we were looking for tickets specifically for the sub version. Um, but before the movie played, there's a Funimation trailer where I think it's All Might's quote from when he's facing the first Nomu. Yeah. Um, where he's like, hey, villain, have you heard these words? And he's saying it in the dub. And I think all of us were internally freaking out. I know. I shot up out of my seat and I looked at our friend Kevin. I was like, because he, he's the one that, I bought the tickets the first time, but it was like right when AMC started selling them. So they didn't have any descriptors on the, the movie. It, it literally just said MHA. That was it. I'm like, well, this has to be My Hero Academia. Um, and it didn't specify if it was dub or sub. But then later, as we got closer, they started putting those descriptors in there. And he noticed that the original tickets that I bought were for the dub. And I was like, hell no. I mean, no offense to the dub. I'm sure it's great, but that's not what we watch. And so I was like, we need to cancel these tickets and, and mm-hmm. repurchase. We had to pick a whole other theater because the theater that we had didn't, or the, the original theater didn't have any, any subs. So long story short, when w- that part came up on the, the screen and it was the dub, I shot out of my seat, not out of, but I sat up and I looked at Kevin in his eyes and I was like, if this is the dub, I will kill somebody. I will riot. I'm like, we checked four times to make mm-hmm. sure that this was the sub. This has got to be the sub. So luckily it was just Funimation's trailer, but that, that gave me a mini heart attack. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's going back to it, like the trailer played and it's All Might in his dub voice. And, you know, it, it's a very like, masculine, booming voice. And, you know, it fills the theater like with the auditorium speakers. Um, and then, so the trailer ends and then we go into the movie and... This is, I think, this is where my heart was beating because, like, the movie starts off with no sound. Like, it's just the uh, mont or not the mont. The first scene is um, some of the pro heroes driving in initial D cars, <laughs> whatever, yeah, um, chasing after who is it? Like Dobby and I forget the other uh, villain names. Um, and I think it's Rocklock who speaks first. Yeah, right? and. Like, we hear him speak, and it's in Japanese, and we see the sub, so I, like, I breathe a sigh of relief. But I guess what I noticed from the Funimation trailer going into that first scene is, like, the audio was just really quiet. It was so quiet and, like, muffled. Like, it didn't sound crisp and clean like the rest of the trailers had sounded before that. Mm -hmm. It was distracting. And then also the, the aspect ratio of the theater. And again, I don't know, maybe the aspect ratio in Japan theaters are, is different, but the subtitles at the very bottom for, like, yeah, the Gs were. and stuff, like, you know, the, the letters that hang down lower were cut off. And I'm like, man, it's just, like, this is just poo. Mm-hmm. It looks like poo-poo. And I remember there was one scene, I think, towards the, right before the final battle, um, there's a close-up um, of Midoriya's face as he's looking out onto that bridge that's linking, I think, what is it, the peninsula to that older castle where they're... Um, holding fort uh the image quality was just really blurry and it felt like i was watching you know like a youtube video at that point yeah um so yeah there was a lot of just strange dips in quality um where it felt like i was just watching i think you said this before like watching a season one episode of my hero yeah um, it was it was really weird and and you mentioned too that you you felt like in some way that maybe this was rushed yeah um and i'm reading the wikipedia page right now where it's Last year, uh, March 2019, uh, stage event at Anime Japan 2019 announced that a second My Hero Academia film was planned for a winter 2019 release. 
with Horikoshi responsible for supervision. And that's where I think like this movie, again, even though it felt like this was almost like a series finale, it also at the same time felt like a rush job. And yeah, I get if they release or if they release this over the summer, just to give it more production time to um, like clean up those little instances of quality, I think I would have been fine with that. Like I wouldn't have minded a delay just for uh, production quality issues. But again, since they were aiming for that, I mean, it's not winter 2019, but it's still technically um, winter 2020. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was just not enough quality for me to really enjoy the movie. Yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't go from watching a movie for an anime series to going into watching just one of the mid-season episodes and, and being like, wow, the, the season four episode looks leaps and bounds better than this movie did. I don't know. It just it seems so strange. And then on top of that, I feel another reason I feel it was it was a rush job was because I don't remember where I read it, but I, I think where this takes place in the timeline is not just after season four; it's like several arcs after season four. So if uh, for manga readers, maybe you yeah. know where this is supposed to be, but or it's um, it takes place after the Meta Liberation Army arc, and, and like we have no effing idea yeah, what that is. That sounds. But scary, like to know it's not but... it's not only just after like I thought maybe it was just after season four and now we're in the middle of this um, school festival arc because they do mention the needle remember um, yeah which I think was a reference to overhaul which that's where I think we thought this takes place after the school festival but I guess this but is apparently for... it's much further in yeah. the future and that's going to be really confusing and then we're going to need to as anime only viewers we're going to have to watch the movie again when it's supposed to take place canon in the timeline. Uh, not that I would mind watching this again. I'd love to watch this again, but it's just, it's so strange. Like, why? why? I would much rather wait several more years for this movie to come out if it means that it's it, t- it comes out at the right time in the timeline. But yeah, so so we, we were not impressed at all. And again, I don't know if that's just because of how things get sent over to the U.S. for to be played on our theaters, but the, the sound quality and, and the production value were poo-poo. But I think one thing to disclaim was, again, we, these aren't, like, complete knocks on the movie. Like, these are, I would say, just very minuscule um, criticisms we have. Because, again, the movie is great. Like, I don't think, like, I love the story and everything. So I just want to say, like, these are just minor issues. I don't want anyone to think, oh, they're just bashing on this movie. Like, we mentioned pros and cons, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the other cons, and I'm, I'm just going to list these off, um, the Super Saiyan hair really distracted me. I'm like, why? Because we've seen Midoriya use One for All at 100% many times, especially in the beginning. And his hair flows, and he glows, but he's mm. never had Super Saiyan hair. So now he has less, I mean, theoretically less than 100% all, One for All. Let, let's say he gave 50% to Bakugo. So if he only has 50% of one for all, how does he have enough power flowing through him beyond 100% that his hair is now become Super Saiyan? That looked weird, and we've never seen their hair like that. So it's just like... <laughs> it also looked like, you know, when Krishma does his, like... Uh, yeah, because, like... Unbreakable. Ha- yeah. It just... It, yeah, it looked like Kirishima's hairstyle, and it was weird because when you think Super Saiyan, like, their hair is, like, 
really long and it's very like tall, mm-hmm. but they just look like little spiky heads because they have short hair. I don't know. Like the spiky turtles or whatever in Mario. That's what it reminds me. Yeah. It just looked really weird. Like, we didn't need that. I would have... I get it probably would have been more difficult to animate animate flowing hair. But Mm. if that's what you're doing in the show, and that's at 100% one for all, why would you suddenly give them straight shot up, like, so much power to the point where their hair sticks straight up and doesn't even move? hair styles when they're at like theoretically less than 100% yeah, one for all. Like, yeah, All Might his hair never went like rock hard like that. Yeah. It, went, and it's... It looks stupid. I, I, I really hated that a lot. I was like, oh my god. I mean, it was great. the ending was so great, but I was like, man, if I could just undo that, that would be wonderful. Yeah, it's like if they just used a lot of hair gel. Yeah. And hairspray. And just pull, pulled their hair straight up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looked weird. Like they, we've never seen their hair like that, so it's just very strange to see it. Um, I did not like at all that they reused the climax music and like overall tone that they used from the overhaul fight in season four. Mm-hmm. They, it was a an identical ripoff, as if as if we're not gonna watch the anime and then go watch the movie or something like that. Like it was the same, like a cookie cutter. That same exact song. I think it was the same exact song. No, it is the same exact song. Same exact song comes on. No other audio. It's, like, dramatic and, like, uh, visually it's great. But just that whole thing, you pick one or the other, in my opinion. Like, either have that type of climax, um, like, the sounds anyway, for the overhaul fight or have it for the movie. But don't do it for both because that really cheapened it for me. I was like, ugh. Is every big fight like this going to have this song and, and no other audio from now on? Because I hope not. And me, like, I'm a big, I think I've mentioned this in epi- like episode zero, like, I'm really big into music and I really pay attention to, like, soundtracks for any anything I watch, whether it be anime or just regular TV shows or, or movies. And I was okay with them using the same song. Because, yeah, even though this felt like a rehash of the overhaul fight from the this, the first part of season four, like, it's still a very effective scene. Like, again, the sound effects cut off, and you just have, like, this visual <laughs> orgasm yeah. um, that's just being thrown at your face of uh, Midori and Bakugo facing off against Nine. But, and this is just my personal opinion, I really had hoped that they used my or you say run instead like i haven't heard that song since i think the tournament arc was that in season two i think that's season two yeah um and you know like that's such an iconic part of the my hero show like it's essentially i mean unless he's got a theme song that i'm not aware of it's essentially midoriya's theme song isn't it yeah, they, I think they first play it when he rescues Bakugo in season one from that, like, slimy... The slime he tries, Yeah, he tries to save him from that, yeah, slimy villain, and then All Might comes in. But, yeah, that was just a missed opportunity for you, Seiron. And Yeah. And um, I think that slow song is tech, like they have elements of you say run in it but it's, it's yeah but it's just not you say run like just play that song i think that would have been a much better choice yeah. i agree with you there no it uses the melody from you say run but it's it's a lot slower and like the girl has a nice voice but the lyrics like if you listen to them it i don't know like for me certain syllables come like after typical rhythm beats i guess looking at it more musically i i don't really 
find the song enjoyable. But I get fitting into this scene, it was fine. But need more. You say run. I think it fit that song fit better for the overhaul fight because yeah. um, uh, Night Eye was dying. Everyone was like beat up, and like this was just like a latch last ditch effort, but not a triumphant fight. The fight with Nine in the movie is a triumphant fight because mm-hmm. you have Bakugo and Midoriya doing something that you never would have thought that they would do given their dynamic, and and they're beating a really tough villain together. So I think a, a triumphant song would have been way more appropriate for, for this scene versus like a slow, melodic, like really sad song. Yeah, now that I think about it, like this is supposed to be almost like was All Might's fight with All for One, like, right? They're yeah. facing the same kind of villain who has this ability to steal other people's quirks. Um, so, again, thinking of soundtracks that would work for this scene, the I know there's the song that they use when All Might uses his United States of Smash on All for One. Like, that's a very triumphant song. And I think if they used that for this scene, that would also have been good. And that would have been great, to, again, to, to echo your point, because it's a very similar fight to All Might, and they admire All Might, and Midoriya is his his successor. Mm-hmm. That would have been a great match. Like, that would have been a nice way to tie in their two stories. Like, Midoriya is a way of confirming that Midoriya is doing it. He is, he is becoming his successor. He's making All Might proud, and doing that with his, his lifetime rival, like... Yeah, that would have been a much better choice. I I didn't like the whole rehash of of the overhaul fight style, mm-hmm. and it, at parts visually, it was kind of hard to tell what was going on. Yeah, like at one point, Bakugo falls in a hole and he starts melting the ground, but then he's got a rock in front of him and he's pushing it to nine. Oh, yeah, and it's like he's like slipping. Yeah, and it's like, like where did this? If he was in a hole. How did he carve this rock out, but he was also melting at the same time? It was really tough. Like, visually it was beautiful, but it was also extremely difficult to tell what was going on. I'm like, yeah. what? what's happening here? Are we winning, or <laughs> what, I don't know what's going on. So that that was tough, but but it was still really nice to see. Um, yeah, it's just the music was, was a bit distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I thought... So it's not just specific to the movie, but the movie solidified it. I don't understand... So what's the Invisible Girl's name? Hagakure. Hagakure. I don't get her point. Class 1A, like, I get, as we shared earlier, like, it's it's very obvious not everyone in Class 1A is on par, but they have unique abilities with enough potential to put them in this top-tier class. Hagakure is just invisible. I don't know if maybe in the manga she finally, like, discovers something in her power that's, like, useful for a hero, but she did nothing in this, this movie. And granted, like, other people like Ashido... She had like a part in in that fight with the the hair chick that I don't remember her name Splice or something Slice Slice, um, but she still has potential and we've seen in the show that she's a competent fighter and and she thinks on her feet, um, and her acid ability has plenty of potential, um, so even though she got KO'd pretty quickly, um, you still saw her be competent in the movie and and have an important part to play. Hagakure, I'm like. What is your point? Like you don't make anything invisible. Like if she made other stuff invisible, even if it was just one item, like say she could only make one hero at a time invisible, but it was enough to help them with like some sort of you know, uh, like you know sneaking up on some, on a villain or something, or just mm-hmm. one item at a time could be invisible. That's still very, 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 very useful and could potentially be OP. But she does nothing. 
she does nothing in the show. She does nothing in this movie. I mean, she's helpful with evacuating, but you don't have to be invisible to do that. In fact, mm-hmm. it's arguably easier and more effective to evacuate people when they can actually see you. <laughs> so I just don't understand her point. And for the longest time, I've thought, like, what is what is her deal? Like, I don't understand why she's in this class. She's just there for, for comedic relief, I feel like. And then this movie just solidified that for me. So unless something happens down the road with her powers, I'm like, I don't get her point. Even when they're training in the show... Like, they don't ever show her training because she can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, you can't animate anything. She doesn't have superhuman powers. She's just a regular person that we can't see. So and I think yeah, that's, this is just a testament to people who say one of their favorite superpowers to have is invisibility. <laughs> like, like, it's great if you want to yeah. be a spy. Like, she's not going to be a hero. She's going to be a spy. Like, mm-hmm. put her into the government, make her do some espionage. That would be phenomenal. She'd be really great for that. But she's not a hero. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just waiting to see what they pull out of their butts for her. But I, I thought it was crazy how useless she was in this movie, especially yeah. given earlier that everybody felt important except for her. Yeah. Even again, I mean, that though, was able to make his hair grapes, whatever, hair grapes. whatever they're called. Like he was even, he even proved to be useful. But again, like you said, I don't see what her point was yeah i i just like i i've had enough i'm glad i can't see her because i don't care about her wow <laughs> i know it's harsh but man it just makes me so annoyed because that spot in class 1a could go to somebody else like wh- who's the guy in class 2 it was a 2a um or 1b i don't know what the, the numbering system is but in the tournament arc he he's the one that looks sleepy all the time but if you ask him a question he can control you and he says something along the lines of like i wanted to be in class 1a i feel like with my powers i deserve to be in class 1a and mm-hmm. honestly over hagakure i agree he should be a lot of those those students should be in class 1a versus her so i just think it's crazy that she's there and doesn't offer any potential as a hero at least that we've seen mm-hmm. um another thing that i so there there are two these are my last cons but they are the two things I absolutely hated about this movie that I think had the potential to ruin it for me, but obviously didn't because they were small enough where I'm like, okay, the rest of the movie is phenomenal. So the first thing is, I think it's completely unrealistic and unbelievable that no pro heroes or no adult supervision at all was provided to Class 1A when they were on this island. I mean, in in the episode that came out this weekend, we saw... Um, the principal have to beg the chief of police to allow them to have a school festival because they wanted to shut it down because of, of the villain potential. And here you are putting the entire class on this island. That's not exactly an unknown island. It's just a small island off the, the coast of Japan with no adult supervision. And I'm not talking like no pro hero supervision, no adult supervision whatsoever. I think would have would what would have been a more believable plot, although would have been a copy off of um, two heroes, is if one hero went with them, got knocked out, and then Class One A had to do their thing. And I know that's what happened to All Might didn't get knocked out in two heroes, but he got incapacitated. But that still makes it way more believable than these teachers who have literally almost died, and one of them did die protecting the class. Um, and they're fully responsible for saying, we'll just throw them on this island where the previous hero retired and nothing will go wrong. And that's a plot hole in itself. Like, they send these students to this island because the hero who was protecting it retired. Like, where is that guy? Yeah. Like, wouldn't you think he's still living on the island? 
Like I, I picture he's just like on the in a beach house somewhere and just watching all of this insanity unfold, and he's just like sipping on. Yeah, didn't he build his life there? You would expect. Yeah, like so you'd think he'd at least offer some sort of like be like a mentor and guide so that these students know the villagers that they're dealing with and you know offer his advice on how to deal with certain threats even though there's like no threats in this village but yeah i don't think the adults in this movie or even on the show make very good decisions when it comes to how they should be treating class 1a um, in this changing world right where the villains are um, going back into the spotlight and it's becoming harder to stop these crimes Um, obviously the adults they want these students to really excel um, in their abilities to be heroes but just throwing them on an island saying here just deal with this we're not going to help you um, if there's a threat so you'll all have to work together like that's that's like you said, it's very unrealistic. It's as if, and I know you're not like a big Harry Potter fan, but it's like if you just threw all the students of Hogwarts in front of like Voldemort and his Death Eaters and say, okay, you deal with this threat. <laughs> we'll watch from the sidelines. You do your best with it. But at least they'd be watching from the sidelines because they weren't even watching from the <laughs> sidelines here. Like I, I would see maybe at minimum they're like on a boat out on the water Mm -hmm. they're not even on the island so maybe they're trying to give them more of that isolation where they really have to step up because there's quote unquote no supervision nobody there to help you you have to you have to handle Mm -hmm. it but at least at the very minimum just be like on a boat circling the island just so that if something happens you're able to get there faster than six hours for Momo's drone to make it to the mainland and then uh, several other hours for that note to make it to a hero. Like, that's crazy. To me, I'm like, that is so unrealistic that the fact that that got through and made it into the plot, I'm like, man, just put Eraserhead there and let him get knocked out and that would have been fine with me. Yeah, and I know the movie addresses this by, I think it's uh, a Chimera or Slice. Like, they're the ones that destroy the all forms of communication from the from the island like the the signal tower and like the electricity lines and whatnot but like i mentioned before there's there's like a growing threat of villains and for like what i don't remember what the hero like government commission or whatever for them to for them to assume that this island is just going to have small threats and there's not going to be a big threat coming for like one of the top tier classes of heroes um in japan like that's just very terrible yeah. oversight all it takes is one person telling a villain like oh all of class 1a the future of heroes is on this island with no supervision they're like done let's kill them let's get rid yeah. of them right now like they're sitting ducks there's no mm-hmm. way they can beat all of us like all it would have taken was the entire league of villains finding out and all of them going there and killing them luckily it was like four people who obviously were very difficult to beat it took everything out of them but like what if one more he- what if it was five heroes instead of four how would they have dealt with that mm-hmm. i just think it, it was crazy that that they didn't have anybody there also quick side note going back to hagakure now that i think about it because again this is this is the problem with this movie coming out not following the timeline or when it should come out 
remembering that this movie actually happened several arcs into the show tells me that it's gonna be a long time before Hagakure becomes useful because even several arcs in, she's still useless. Like that that that's something to note too. And and this going back to the um the whole island thing too, that just tells us that I'm sure there's other threats that are gonna come up in the future arcs that these teachers still have not learned their lessons about how important it is to protect the students. Because again, this is not happening in season four. This is happening in what could potentially be season six or season seven. Mm -hmm. They choose to let them do this. And yet there's still major threats out there that can easily fuck them up. Like that, it just is crazy to me. Like that, that was a horrible part of the writing. Again, love the the movie, but that, that piece was, was no good. Um, The other thing of the two things that I absolutely hated about the movie um, was Bakugo forgetting everything i mean come on that to me and and that's like the so end of like, the movie like such a cop-out yeah and it's at the end of the movie where i mean you just you're so excited you're rooting for him you're rooting for his relationship with midoriya you're rooting for midoriya for even trusting bakugo on that level and at the end of like oh but it doesn't matter because he doesn't remember and we're not gonna tell him i'm like oh, are you kidding me and again as i mentioned earlier like he still has bakugo has great character development if even if you were to remove all of the all, uh, one for all pieces, but it's like that was phenomenal. That was phenomenal character development, relationship development, and they just took that all away. And I, th- it just it felt like a cop out. I, I felt like it would have been better if they acknowledged that this is possible now. That one for all can be shared. I mean, they're still gonna acknowledge it because it still happened. But instead, Bakugo having to be pushed to continue developing his character is now forced to keep this a secret having had a taste of what it's like to be all might and then have that taken away from him not taken away but he he gives it back we'll say he gives it back to midoriya and then him to know like this is midoriya's potential this is what he could do and i know this now and i have to keep this a secret and i can never ask him to do this again unless we're ever in this type of situation that would have been crazy for his character development like, that would have been just such a cool dynamic for him to have because all he talks about this movie and the whole show is that he wants to be the number one hero better than All Might. Like, not just at All Might's level, but better than All Might. And now he had a taste of it, and, and he has to trust Midoriya with that, knowing when he feels that he's he's better than Midoriya. So I just thought it was such a, a stupid way to end it. Just let him remember, but also push his character to be responsible for that information. Yeah, and I think that's where like the this movie kind of has a crutch because it kind of has to still be within the confines of what's happening in the show and i mentioned this analogy to you yesterday um what this movie reminds me of is uh, for anyone who again i'm a big star wars fan um anyone who's watched rogue one um the recent or one of the star wars anthology films from disney Um, you know that it takes place um, in between episodes three and episode four, like right almost immediately before episode um, four. And again, like Rogue One was a great movie and all, and it really shed a new light on the, I guess, the conflict between um, the rebels and the Empire. But I think what it... It couldn't have been any more ambitious because it was limited to what the established story in Star Wars already was. Um, so it couldn't like introduce 
new elements to the story. Obviously, we could look at it in a new light um, of why this conflict was so important, but again, it couldn't introduce new aspects to the story that could either like retcon everything um, or just screw up the timeline altogether. And that's how I feel with the ending of um, Heroes Rising, is that like you the whole movie I thought like this was going to be the end all for the series, but then you have that catch at the very end where All Might all of a sudden sees one for all return to Midoriya, and like you said, uh, Bakugo conveniently not knowing uh, what had just happened or that he even inherited one for all for a couple minutes. And again, I think it's because the writers for the story wanted to make sure that it still stayed within the confines of the current stories that are going through the TV show. And that just really hindered it from this, for me, hindered this movie from being an amazing movie. Um, Because again, I I think it's a great movie, but I don't think it's an amazing movie um, unless this movie had that finality to it instead of having to, again, play to whatever the current arcs or whatever the previous arcs of my hero um, were. Yeah, I, I just thought it was so stupid. Like, just it's, it was so stupid, and it made me really annoyed. And I, again, it wasn't enough to ruin the movie. And like the fact that they even went there though was amazing. I threw my 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 jaw dropped when when they were saying like we have to do this, we have to do this. And I'm like, yeah, what do they yeah. have to do? The, what are they talking yeah. about? And the theater, like you know, everyone let out a collective gasp. Yeah, it was amazing. And like I I my jaw dropped, and I literally threw my hands up, and I'm like, oh, what are they doing? Are they really going there? I was so excited about that, and they're like, "Yeah, we did it, but it's not gonna make a difference." Like, that that's that 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 bothers me a lot, and I just thought, like, Bakugo like had such growth, and yeah. all of that was for nothing essentially. And, yeah. and that could, and I thought like that could set up, like you said, a potential new arc for um, the series again. Yeah. It, but this happening concurrently with what's happening in season four like you don't know where this is going to fit in and i know we've mentioned like this takes place after some arc in the manga but i think i would have been fine with this almost being like a almost like a prequel to whatever any upcoming season would have been yeah um but yeah this is basically saying oh this happened but guess what we're kind of retconning it in the end. And then, again, the fact that they put this out well before this is even supposed to happen in the timeline, it's like a like they're teasing you. It's like, this is possible, but you're not going to hear about it for several seasons, and we don't even know when you get to that point in the timeline if they're even going to bring it back to, to this whole one-for-all sharing thing. So this leads, leads us into a couple of final thoughts and questions about the movie, um, and so this might be a good time to, to touch on those. So I was slightly confused, and I'm sure we're not supposed to know how it happened because they really couldn't explain it, but was it that he was giving all of his power to Bakugo? Because that's what that's the way they were reacting, was that I have to give you one for all. And then that was what All Might said is, oh my gosh, he, he's losing. He told All Might, like, I gave it to Bakugo. And you saw the flame die out. Yeah, but but he didn't actually give it to him because they touched hands, but... The whole time they're fighting Nine in the climax, he still has one for all. Obviously, at least mm-hmm. again, maybe it's fifty percent of what one for all is. So I never even thought that he gave it to him fully; that he was sharing it with him or gave him part of it. Also, he did not eat Midoriya's hair. <laughs> they yeah, just had that weird grasp or grasping of hands, and then 
So my my thought is that he can transfer it by touching somebody temporarily. But if he wants to fully give one for all to somebody, they have to consume his hair or some part of him, which sounds weird. Um, I know that our friend Kevin mentioned that when Bakugo is reaching out, there's a, a blatant cut on his finger. So maybe there was a, a transfer mm. of blood when they grabbed hands. Um, but in that sense, wouldn't all, one for all have gone fully to Bakugo? Like, I would have liked it better if it was just... And again, we don't know what's going on here, so it could very well be that this will be flushed out later. I hope it will be. Um, but it could have just been, like, he he has the power to tra- temporarily give or partially give one for all to another person, but he still is the owner of one for all and can bring it back. And I think this is probably something that you see with previous inheritors of one for all, is that each each one of them... And again, I don't know if this is something that's been established in the manga, but each inheritor kind of adds a new element to the one-for-all quirk. And you see that in the show where Midoriya realizes, oh, I can't use my arms as much as All Might was using them when he was using this quirk. So he resorts to um, perfecting using the quirk through like his kicking mm-hmm. skill or kicking abilities. And maybe that's something that's happening here. Going back to, like, I hate making all these Star Wars analogies, but that's how I kind of can understand um, what's going on is, like, this is almost like a new aspect of the Force being used. Yeah. Right? Is that Midoriya has now harnessed this power to, like you said, temporarily transfer one for all. And if that, like, if that were the case, then I, I get that would sit fine with me. But you see the imagery of the one for all flame like flickering out much like you saw it in um, All Might's fight with All for One where that's supposed to establish like oh Midoriya no longer has this quirk but then he immediately goes and uses it right at full power it looks like with Bakugo like it just it doesn't make any sense to me and mm-hmm. I, I think that'll be interesting though how they play on this because if it is a case where he can choose and temporarily share one for all with somebody else because I mean in the name it's one for all um does that mean he can just transfer it and transfer it back at will, like when he develops that power? So I'm interested to see where they go with this. Um, uh, sorry, one more thing, kind of going back to, again, the finality of him transferring uh, one for all. Like, you hear uh, Midoriya in the show always saying, like, this is how I became the greatest hero. And I thought it was because, like, again, this being the supposed, like, finale to the series, like, he became the greatest hero by transferring all that he knew to Bakugo, who also wanted to be the greatest hero. But again, that's not going to be something that's addressed uh, through this movie. Yeah, so. it's, it's going to be interesting to see what, what they do with this. Um, obviously, a lot of unanswered questions, but a cool concept. And I, again, like my jaw dropped. I was like, this is this is hype. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all for this because that, that puts a lot. It puts a whole different level of responsibility and decision making on Midoriya and really pushes who he trusts, which Obviously, at this point, it's just Bakugo, um, and, and rightfully so. Um, another thing that that I wanted to mention uh, was that, again, we see Bakugo throughout the show, but then very much so, it's kind of in your face in this movie that he keeps saying, like, I'm going to be the number one hero. I'm going to be not only the number one hero, but I'm going to be the greatest hero that surpasses All Might. And obviously, we know because from episode one, Midoriya's been telling us this is my story of how I became the greatest hero. So clearly, 
Bakugo is not going to reach that. Or maybe he reaches it only temporarily. Like how I met your mother. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And so what I'm excited for as the show goes on is to see how Horikoshi plays on Bakugo not becoming number one. How is he going to cope with that? How is he going to handle that? Like, I'm sure it's already starting to sink in that there's a potential he won't be number one because he knows that All Might passes power on to Midoriya. But I'm really excited to see, like, when we finally reach that point, you know, probably many seasons down the road, like, when we get there, like, how does Bakugo handle that? How does he accept the fact that he was not chosen by the by the man he admired, that his rival is the one that's going to become number one, and, like, can he accept that? Can he not accept that? Is he able to accept it with stipulations? Does he become his partner in crime? Or not in crime, mm-hmm. but obviously. <laughs> partner in heroics. Um, I'm just really excited to see how that all plays out. And then the other thing that, that I wanted to mention, which I think is the last thing as I'm skimming my notes here, um, is just Todoroki. I, I love Todoroki, and I know that the three of them are more of like a pyramid of like heroic rivalry. The true rivalry sits with Bakugo and Midori, obviously, but Todoroki plays a big part in that. So I, I know he took more of a backseat. He was still on display in this movie, but he took more of a backseat, and I'm fine with that. Um, but I just thought it was so funny at the end. Wait, for, before that, he still struggles with accepting his his fire endeavor side of his powers. Like, he's about mm-hmm. to use those powers on that wolf dude, but then he stops himself and, and he remembers his dad, and he's like, no, 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 I'm going to do this with my ice side. And, and that's, again, this is several arcs past where we are in season four, so this is still an ongoing thing. Um, so I thought that was a great reminder that, hey, he still has this struggle. But then at the end, when, when Endeavor's hugging him, I just thought that was so great. Because, first of all, that's not a side of Endeavor that you see. Mm-hmm. But I think it, that they hinted at that becoming maybe a thing when we started the um, school festival arc in season four. And Endeavor's talking to All Might, and he says, I can't remember what he says, but he basically he makes Endeavor think, like, you have to be conscious of the way you're treating Todoroki. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a relationship with him. So I feel like that plays on that, that he's like being more of a dad than being more of a coach for Todoroki. Mm-hmm. And I just, I loved that. I thought it was like a split second, like a two second thing on the screen. But I was like, this is amazing. That was a cool little added piece towards the end. Yeah. And I guess it's two of my own thoughts um, that I or like two of my own burning questions that I have about this movie. And maybe someone can address this later on um is you've mentioned that a lot of this movie is focused on bakugo's character development whether or not like this is something that is going to be reflected um later on in the show or in the manga since the movie kind of retcons that Mm -hmm. um but what i am struggling to understand is like is does midoriya really have any kind of character arc in this because I feel like his story has always been his struggle with One for All. And, again, it's not to say that it's repetitive, but I think this movie kind of, it doesn't add anything new to that arc. Like Yeah, it's, he's like the same person at the beginning mm-hmm. as he is at the end. But, like, again, the difference is when, like, you realize he he's being selfless by transferring One for All to Bakugo because he wants... Like his ultimate goal with any situation is to save, to save the people that he uh, needs to save. But other than that, like there's not much in this movie. Like you see him being the the hero that smiles and really like shows 
his love for the people he's saving um, with the, what's the younger kid's name, Katsuma? Yeah. Um, you see that when he pulls him up to the alley and talks about why his sister, uh, why his sister is so protect, like wants him not to interact with heroes. Um, and Midoriya like encourages Katsuma like, Hey, heroes aren't like terrible people. Like we just want to save, um, the people that need saving, um, and encourages Katsuma to like encompass that kind of mentality. Um, if, Katsuma eventually wants to become a hero. Um, so I can see like that mentor side of Midoriya kind of developing, much like um, All Might was mentoring him throughout his journey and learning more about One for All. But other than that, like I said, this almost recycles his constant character arcs of having to learn how to control One for All. So I would want to, I kind of want to understand more of like what his arc if at all there was in this movie um and i guess the second thing is wait really quick i do want to mention as you're saying that i realized that in the beginning when he's when bakugo is patrolling at night he runs into midoriya and he tells him he's like hurry up and make this power your own so that we can we can basically see have a dick slinging contest and see who (laughs) who has the the better hero powers and who's really the number one hero and then at the end of the movie, instead of doing that, Midoriya does the opposite and actually gives his power away to the person that is telling him to hurry up and make it his own. I thought that was an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. And then also at the end, too, I mean, obviously it's a life or death situation, but the fact that Midoriya says, like, Bakugo, I'm going to give you this power, and he has Bakugo has no mention of, like, I'm going to be super powerful now, or, like, I'm going to be the greatest now because you're giving this to me. Like, he's just, like, all about saving the the village i thought that was great for bakugo too because he's just his thing is power like he's the character that that shows the the trope of of a hero being all about power so the fact that he doesn't even acknowledge that this is going to make him more powerful he may have said something like oh this is really cool or something but the fact that he that's not his focus is about just saving and doing the right thing i thought that was really interesting too for for his character and also that he broke his arm and saw and finally got to experience what midoriya experiences trying to control one for all like oh, yeah. again another reason that he should not have forgotten because that, i think that would have really helped him understand like the struggle that midoriya is going through to go from quirkless to having the strongest quirk and like being able to control that cuz mm-hmm. like bakugo's like he he you never see him struggle with his quirk except in the tournament arc when he blows up the rocks above him and then he like grabs his arm and he's like, oh, that was a close one. Like he was really pushing himself. And then maybe in another one, I think when he and Midoriya, I think when they have their final exam and they're going up against All Might, there was another moment too where he was using his his powers or his quirk without the gauntlets on and he his like arm starting to like there's some fragility fragility is that a word Mm -hmm. going on there um but here it's like one one punch you know not not to make a one punch reference and his his arm breaks like that would have been so good for him to remember when he woke up because then he would have had much more respect for Midoriya which Bakugo responds to power he responds to power he calls Uraraka Uraraka is the only person in the class that he calls by the normal like their normal name because he respects her power. And he only started calling her that when he realized that she was strong halfway through their fight. That's huge. That's why he doesn't call anybody else by their first name, because he doesn't see them as powerful people. And I know it would have been really strange to maybe, like, 
hit the hit, hit you go from zero to sixty with Midoriya and Bakugo, and him suddenly go from hating Midoriya to to respecting him because he sees the power that he's got. But I'm sure there would have been a way they could have written that in well. Mm-hmm. But anyway, mm-hmm. you had one more thing you wanted to say. Well, just to finish up that, like you know, all 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 the things that you're mentioning are all focused on Bakugo, and again, it's it's very clear that. I think he basically like he's he steals the movie, like, mm-hmm. definitely, uh, and rightfully so. But again, like my hero is focused all like also focuses on the journey for Midoriya. And again, I don't know if this movie really adds any anything of substance to his journey, because again, we we find out at the end that he already had like he gets one for all back. Um, so it would have been more interesting to see the repercussions of him not having one for all and still trying to find out like how he became the greatest hero yeah like what Um, lesson does he learn he doesn't learn a lesson bakugo i feel like if you had remembered would have learned a lesson that like hey you know you need to respect midoriya more and team up with him more and be more understanding of where he's coming from and like Mm -hmm. being powerful is truly not the only reason to be a hero like you actually do have responsibilities yeah and just as an aside like i think (laughs) kaminari even had like a, a like a great character because he, yeah, he, he did, became actually. useful at the end like he became the lightning rod for <laughs> for nine to what did bakugo call him this um, useless idiot <laughs> yeah and then um i mean i just throws up his his um thumbs and says um there was a what do you he says something like is that all you can say about me yeah and it just faints um but the second thing i wanted to or that i was thinking about is like nine's character arc in this like obviously he is the main villain um, and he's touted as being the uh, all for one um, like resurrected or just the next generation of all for one but and you you understand or you get a glimpse into his motivations of him wanting to use all this power to control a society but you already see that with what the league of villains what their motives are throughout the series. So I kind of confused and like why his like why not or yeah, why nine ends up being the main villain in this when he could have easily been filled in with the League of Villains as the antagonist of this film. Because in the end, like you you see um Shigaraki appear um in that field where Nine's already been decimated and he's crawling towards him and Shigaraki just executes him. Like, was this was this supposed to be part of the League's plan um, for them to see what Nine's potential was? Or was this uh, the League of Villains seeing him as a threat and having the heroes take care of it and then eliminating him in the end? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't understand what... <laughs> what the point of nine was, I guess. Yeah. Not not to put it that bluntly, but it's hard when when the movie is just an ex- it's not even an extension of the show. Oftentimes, it's treated more as like a side a side story that could very easily not be canon. Sometimes it's questionable if these if these anime movies that stem from a series are even canon at all. Um, like you, when you watch it, you're like, I could have just not watched this and nothing in the show would have changed for me. Mm-hmm. But that's the tough part. It's like, how do you incorporate the movie into the canon? I think what you said earlier, having it as like a precursor to the start of a, of a season 
would be a great way to, to incorporate the movie better. As long as the characters acknowledge what happened, like as long as the, the story in the movie impacts the series and the characters acknowledge what happened in the ser- in the movie during the series. Cause it just like, I, we could have just never have seen this movie and nothing would have changed. Yeah. Uh, essentially. I don't know. Maybe in the future they'll, they'll do something where it harkens back to that, but it's, I would like to see anime movies in general. That's again, one, not the standalone, but the one that stem from a series actually play a, a significant part in that series or have impact. Mm-hmm. So I would say overall, as I shared in the beginning, like for me, this is a great movie. There are definitely some slow parts, even though the slow parts though were enjoyable and felt like I was watching more of an episode than, than a movie. I love everything Bakugo in this movie. Being Team Bakugo was extra special um, and I would definitely watch it again. And I really hope that they bring elements of this movie into the series full force. How many smashes out of 10 would you give this? Oh, I would give it nine out of 10 Detroit smashes. Mm, Detroit smash. Okay. <laughs> um, for me, I would probably give it eight St. Louis smashes. Out of ten. Okay, yeah. Was this the first time they used St. Louis Smash, or has, was that used in the show? Before? I don't remember it, but again, like we only watched the show once. Mm-hmm. We haven't rewatched it, so. But yeah, for me, this would be eight smashes out of ten. Movie-wise, it's terrific. Again, the first half kind of drag, but then once it gets into full gear, um, when you see the main threat appear um, on the island. It's just, a, like I mentioned in the beginning, it's just a roller coaster ride from there. Um, it has terrific action pieces. You get to see all the students use their quirks to their fullest potential in this, almost to the point of them risking their lives um, to eliminate this threat. And although, again, it gets held back in the end a bit by it having to be in service to the anime series as a whole. Um, I still think it's it's worth a watch for anyone. Like it's just good, classic my hero, fun. Yeah. Um, so for anyone like obviously who loves the show, like obviously this is a must watch in the theaters, and maybe some like nice repeat watchings on the road. But yeah, again, not an amazing movie for me, but a great one overall. Yeah. Well, we encourage everyone to watch it whoever ends up listening to this episode one of our podcasts. This is a big one for us. This mm-hmm. is the, the kickoff to what we hope to be a, a long journey because hopefully, as you can tell from listening to this, we really enjoy anime and we love talking about it and, and picking it apart and and understanding it better. So yeah, this was a good one. And with that, thank you very much. And Yeah, thank you all for listening and again. Um, quick shout out to Super Newt Ensemble um, for the podcast jingle that we're currently using as a placeholder until we <laughs> we come up with a nice jingle for you all. So big props to Super Newt Ensemble. Um, but yeah, until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.